0: Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the beautiful weather, for the safety in the storms. And as we go through the storms of life, we pray that you will continue to lead and guide us in every way. In your name, amen. Well, our first text is going to be, is, we're going to look at Romans twelve eighteen, And that simply says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Years ago, I, I've been teaching for 34 years sweetie not in there thank you for 34 years I've been teaching school and every summer I would get together with one of my teacher friends and she we'd always talk about what a rough school year we had and then what a difficult group we were having to come in and the next summer when we got together she said you will not believe it I have found the very best thing and I had the most wonderful school year And for the next week, she told me about how wonderful life was with this fantastic program. I I thought, this is not true. You know, nothing can be this good. But the next summer, when we had a National Teachers Convention, I saw what's called the Young Peacemaker. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go find out what she's talking about. And I learned about things in about an hour. And then I went back and tried them, and I thought, she's exactly right. This is the most wonderful, teaching approach, methodology, getting along with people. And this is where we start out the year with, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And when you're working with students, this last year we went through the whole Young Peacemaker program with my school in Lansing. All grades, we all did it. And then when a child starts having a conflict with someone, you just have to say what does the Bible tell us we should be doing and they learn it oh we should live at peace okay how do you live at peace let's also take a look at John 1 first John 4 7 beloved let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God so again when they say oh I don't like him going. But, you know, what the Bible tells us, we should be loving one another because we're all children of God. And that takes a lot of steam out of students who are angry at each other. And I didn't ask. Uh, Parents, how many of you are parents in here? All right, peacemakers, definitely. Um, How many of you are Sabbath school leaders? Okay, anybody school teacher? Okay, all right. Um, Young Peacemaker, you can find it online. It's well worth getting. Is this different than the quote Peacemakers? I believe so. It's called the Young Peacemaker. And then I always like this. uh, The Bible's really basic instructions before leaving Earth because that's where our focus is. Do you want the... So let's take a look. There are, it's called the Slippery Slope if that helps you at all. And there are people on that slippery slope who are looking for different ways to find peace, okay? And the first place way is to, they try to find peace is to escape. And they do that by, there's some, they do that by blaming. And if you went to Genesis 3, 8 through 13, anybody know what story we're talking about in the beginning of the Bible a blame before that Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve. so Eve, Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the serpent right did that succeed in solving the problem and that's what we try and teach students is that blaming others isn't going to be a solution Blaming others keeps you still struggling with um, the problems that you're facing. And you're not gonna get along with somebody by just blaming them for everything. So I I have this place that I love to go when I'm a little depressed. It's www.despair.com. And you've seen motivational posters, right? despair.com you've seen motivational posters well this takes a motivational poster and puts a twist on it so this one says blame the secret to success is knowing who to blame for your failures it's just got kind of a tongue-in-cheek and the, the whole website is loaded with posters you can purchase them or like me just read through them and laugh now, I have a little quiz for you. I'd like you to solve this puzzle. Don't tell anybody the answer, just take a moment and look at it. Anybody have a solution? There you go, and, and you'd be amazed that children, even from first grade on, can say, uh, there's no solution there. You just keep going round and round. That's exactly what it's supposed to teach you is that pointing the finger, blaming somebody else, doesn't solve anything. It doesn't get you out of the problem. It doesn't solve it. And it's a poster that I like a lot. Well, that's blaming is a way of escaping the circumstances you're in. But what if you say that you're going to um, deny that there even is a problem? and the text we want to look at for that is Matthew 26 69 through 75 and this is taking you towards the end of Matthew quick quiz anybody have an idea of the biggest denial story Peter at the at, at Jesus trial he's he's over there remember three times before the rooster crows he's sitting around the fire denying that he knows Jesus did Peter denying Jesus solve his problem. No, and these are two stories. The blaming Adam and Eve in the garden, the denying of Peter at, at the Jesus trial. Children can relate to those stories. If, if your child has been through the Adventist schools at all or if you're in a Christian home, they're going to know those stories and you can say look when you blame somebody else this is what adam and eve did in the garden of eden did that solve anything well no okay if you deny that there's a problem did when peter denied jesus did that solve it oh no peter was just devastated by what he'd done said when you deny there's a problem that doesn't solve anything And then another way people try to escape is they try to run away from it. And, of course, one of the easy, easy things for running away is, obviously, Jonah. And you can say, did did running away solve the problem? No, he ran off, and he still had to go and face the consequences for what jesus had asked him to do but that running away wasn't wasn't working but then we make sure to tell our children one more thing that sometimes running away is the best thing to do and the early part of matthew who ran away mary joseph and jesus run away to egypt for 12 years because herod is after the baby jesus and 12 years in Egypt, okay, all right, I think it's in Matthew. Um, then what you're gonna do is make sure children know that, and, and adults too, I've used this for sermons, that sometimes when you're in danger, running away is good, good, good idea. It's not gonna solve the problem, but the first priority is keep you safe okay does that make sense all right so as people try to escape they they're doing all kinds of things they're blaming other people for their problems they're denying that there is a problem or they're running away from the problem on the slippery slope those are places that you're just going to slide off you're not going to be able to solve anything then we have people who go to the other extreme they try to solve the problem by attacking. When you think of attack, attack, what's the first word that pops into your mind? Defense. Defense, maybe, okay. But that's a fight, right? You're going to defend yourself. A few minutes ago we were walking across the campground and we got heard some screams for help. One <coughs> boy was pounding another boy and all we had to do was show up and both boys went Pfft, that way. And, and that gave us a nice opportunity to talk to the little girl about um, what do you do you know first of all if somebody says leave me alone you leave them alone but you have a right to tell you know stay away from me well there are people who attack and the first thing we think about usually is they like to fight alright now let's go back to that first question the big fight was and right after um, Cain and Abel, did that fight, and, and the kids will know the story about Cain and Abel, did that fight solve the problem? What happened? Yeah, we had the first murder and the first murderer on this earth. And so fighting does not solve the problem. But you know, sometimes you get these smart kids who say, but I like to fight. So, okay, who's in your heart if what you're wanting to do is fight? That's not Jesus in your heart. And then you get to work with them on those kind of things. Another form of attack which really surprises students is called put-downs. You know what a put-down is? It's, it's saying something mean to somebody else to make them feel bad. And kids are really good at put-downs. And it used to be that boys were really good at the put-downs. And I was talking to some teenagers once, and the boys spoke up and said, the girls are, are really good at the put-downs. And the girls were over there going, yep, they were. And I know that that's true. Fortunately, I've been teaching in a, in a very Christ-centered school the last few years and you don't hear the put-downs, or if you do, you just can go, okay, you're saying that, which means you're attacking that person, and I need to know why you're attacking them so we can solve the par- problem. And they'll go, oh no, I was just joking around, and no, put-downs put are there to, to injure somebody. That's never a joke, and for some reason, you felt that you need to attack this, this classmate. Let's find out why you felt like you had to attack them. And then you can start getting at the root of the problem, which is really an awesome place to be because then you can start moving ahead. Yesterday I was talking about child management and at the end one of the um, participants was saying, but you didn't talk about discipline. Well, when you have good management, your discipline problems are very, that doesn't mean you know, we're not in a perfect world by any means but you certainly end up with far less discipline. And the discipline is then sitting down with them and saying, okay, we had this problem, what's going on? Why did you do it? Um, What did you do that was wrong? But then the most important part is, what should you do in the future when you feel that way? And that's a really good thing to help children, even role play. What do you do when that person, well, they were touching me. Okay, I understand and I told him not to touch me I, said, I believe you um, what should you do in the future because hitting them got you in trouble them touching you in line you know how kids poke each other in line um, when they do that what should you do instead of hitting them because they didn't stop and you asked them nicely like you'd been asked to do What do you do? And then you help them understand. Well, you immediately go get the teacher and say, I need help. And for some of them, it's, oh, I never thought of that. So no, we're here to help you. That's, you know, we might not see them poking you, but if you need help, come get a teacher. And then we can move them from the attack mode into the getting help mode, which is really where we want them to be. We don't expect kids to solve everything. I myself have go to my husband constantly for asking for help with solving things. So let's go to um, a story in Acts sixteen, sixteen through twenty-two, and this is a story about Paul and Silas, and they're imprisoned. Now it happened when they went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with the spirit of of um, the devil, would go around and she would fortune tell and this is how her owners of the slave girl made their living and this girl followed paul around saying these are men servants of the most high god who proclaim to us the way of salvation and she did this day after day now was this girl telling the truth absolutely but she was doing it in a put down form which is what we're trying to help our children understand that how you say something is going to be, you know, it could be in a way of attacking. So the girl was telling the absolute truth, but she was doing it in a way that was putting Paul and Silas down and not glorifying God. And this is what we tell the students is what you're saying, is it giving glory to God or is it glorifying Satan? Mm. And, and the children don't want to glorify Satan almost 99% of them don't want to glorify Satan and so yeah you can tell them what you're doing wrong but then you've got to show them what to do instead and then so put downs are an attack they understand fighting is an attack but they don't understand put downs as attack and we've got one more attack which always shocks the students who haven't seen it for the first time Um, let's back up a minute and go to Ephesians 4 29 This says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And for many, many years, I only looked at the first part of this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And I think my parents probably led me to say, now, that this means you shouldn't swear and you shouldn't curse and don't use bad language, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But then as I got older, I started looking at it a little bit more in depth and it says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And that came as a big shock is, not only am I not supposed to say things that aren't good, but I should be saying good things that help other people, help the needs of other people. And that it might benefit them who, those people who are listening to what I'm saying. So there are really three parts to this. And one of the things that we really want to help our children understand is, are you saying things that build other people up according to what they need to hear? And that helps them start looking at other people in ways that they haven't been looking at them. Well, we have a third attack mode, and this mode is gossip. And Acts 19, 23 through 28 We have the story about um, Demetrius, the silversmith, and he goes around telling everybody how bad Paul is and because they're taking money away because the silversmiths made idols. And if they're saying that the God of heaven is the one true God and we don't bow down to images, now you're taking away their livelihood. And so he starts spreading all kinds of rumors about Paul and getting them in, in trouble getting ready to go to be thrown into prison. This is a Norman Rockwell painting that I just absolutely love and just you know that that is exactly what happens. One person tells somebody else and the story gets twisted and twisted and twisted and suddenly we have all kinds of things going on. For the last 6 years I've been teaching at and principal at the Greater Lansing Adventist School, but next year I'm not going to be working for the Michigan Conference. And people have been coming up to, to me on the campground saying I hear you're moving to China I'm like no <laughs> just because I'm not working full-time next year doesn't mean I'm moving to China <laughs> but what I am doing is I'm going to be working on children's ministry materials for China from my home in Grand Rapids because in China my husband and I have been there three times now in the last couple of years and they're crying for some of these materials that we might have here in this country and they don't have available to them and nobody else has it. And so I'm gonna get it for them, either find it or create it or make it. But I'm not moving to China, no matter how many people come up and ask me that. But that's what's happened here. They hear part of it is, "Oh, she's going to help China," and suddenly I'm going to live there. <laughs> so I've been, I've been at the receiving end down here, <laughs> of whatever's going on. Well, we've looked at the three ways of um, escape. Can you tell me what they are? Blame, Blame. deny, Denial. run away. Run away. We looked at the three attack methods, the put downs, downs. gossip. Gossip. I had, you know, when you have one gender in a room, in a classroom, it makes it for a miserable room. It could be all girls, it could be all boys, but the mix is much better. God had something in mind when he made male and female. And for the last few years, I've had one classroom at the school that's had all boys but one girl And so we know the trials. Next year, the mix is going to get better. But one year, I had 13 girls and two boys in sixth grade. And these girls had a horrible reputation. They were just mean. They had been mean since kindergarten. And I'm I'm getting them as sixth graders thinking, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? Of course, the Lord said, oh, we're going to go to the Bible and find out how to work stuff out. So I started my school year. You know, Every week we would go through different steps in the Work It Out and the Peacemaker program. That was our worship. And go through the stories in depth and analyze them and talk about them and pray about them. And at recess one day, one of the girls came up crying. She says, she's saying all these things about me. So I called the other girl over and said, what's going on? Said, well, it's true said but why are you spreading that around well people need to know what she's really like said you don't think they could find that out from themselves said do you realize this is what we're just talking about that you're attacking her and I need to find out why you're attacking her (gasps) you know it finally sunk in that they she was in attack mode it took me till Christmas but then it became a very pleasant room to work with. Until Christmas, I wasn't sure we were going to make it. But those girls were learning a life skill about how to get along with each other, something that they hadn't learned, and it hadn't been through lack of trying. But what, ha- what changed was the teacher wasn't just talking, the Bible was, and God was working on their hearts. But we're not going to leave you here with the two, two sides of the slope that fail. We're going to go to work it out. And the first thing we want to do is to overlook something. One of the things I, I hear lower grades teachers ask all the time when somebody comes and reports what another child is doing wrong, they they ask this question, these two questions, which I think is fantastic. Are you trying to get keep somebody from getting hurt, or are you trying to get somebody in trouble? You know, you start to analyze why are these kids tattling because. Uh, and I've told lower grade teachers you know you guys do a fantastic job because when they get to my room they no longer tell me stuff and this is where they need to be telling me Mm -hmm. you spend all the the second and third grade years teaching them not to tattle and then when they get to fifth and sixth grade they don't they've learned not to tattle but that's when they're really needing help with solving some of these more mature problems and so They, you know, over the course of time we're going, okay, how can we do this to help children understand better that we do want them to tell, but they need to understand why are they telling? Is there a problem they need to solve or they need our help with? Or what most tattling is, you're trying to get somebody in trouble. And once you ask the child that, probably 95% of the time they run off because they don't want to admit they're trying to get somebody in trouble. But they're still learning. There are times when they need to get help. Um, the first thing that we look at is: Is this something you can overlook? Did whatever offense this person did, do do we need to resolve it, or do, can we overlook it? And if we overlook it, then you have to let it go. You can't harbor a grudge against it. And a lot of times, they'll just I say, okay, you know, what would you like me to do? Is this something you want some help with, or do you want to overlook it? And most of the time, they'll say, "I think I could overlook it," but they have to get it off their chest and they have to make sure that it's really not the big deal that they think it's. But if we go to Proverbs 17:14 and Proverbs 19:11, we're going to learn a couple of things. Proverbs 17:14 said, "The beginning of strife is like releasing water." Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. And that's the paraphrased out of the clear word. Um, Again, if you're going to have a fight, somebody has to start it. So do you want to be the one to start it and build it and build it? Or do you want to try and work it out before it escalates to a a fight? And this is the same in your churches. You know, I've had people come up and say, I need to go over this at, at church board meetings. So that we don't have the contention and strife. Now Proverbs 19.11, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Again from the clear word. So it's to your glory to overlook it. You're not wimping out just because you're going to overlook them and forgive their insults or forgive what they've done then if we go on another work it out step is to talk it out that means you go to the person and you talk to them about what's bothering you oh isn't that kind of the most scary thing to do on earth but it's the thing that gets resolution it's the thing that improves relationships it is the thing that that um the talking it out help solve so many problems and, and a lot of times some of the arguments the other person doesn't realize they're being offensive they don't realize where you're coming from and so if you sit that if you sit two children down to have them talk it out usually one of them's kind of shocked that they're doing something offensive maybe it's okay at their house um, I don't know but talking it out is the number one thing we can do and of course our story is from Daniel and who remembers what Daniel did Yes, exactly. He's not going to eat food that's been offered to idols. And instead of saying Mm-mm, "hunger strike" here, he goes and he talks to somebody and he says, "I need help with this. Could I, could I work something out with you?" And they said, "Well, you know, if you don't start looking healthy, and I'm the person responsible for feeding you, I get killed. I don't like this idea." And Daniel says, "But well, okay, let's put a time frame on it. What if we only do this for a certain period of time?" And did that solve Daniel's problem absolutely Daniel and his friends were able to glorify God in many different ways Proverbs 15 1 says a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger I think my mother used this on me several times because um, my brother and I kept stirring up anger at each other and again it's so easy to react in a in a negative way but really, it's the soft answer that helps people calm down. You know, if you're talking about church board meeting, it calms them down. And really, asking the question, um, what what is your goal? You know, why do you feel that way? If you go back to um, Stephen Covey, seek first to understand where the person's coming from and then seek to be help them understand you and then we can look at um, getting help because we're not always going to be able to solve it for ourselves you know that's just the nature of our world we're not going to be able to solve it and so and this is where I really it's those three areas can you overlook it can you talk to the person yourself or do you need help and then I talk to students and say okay I'm here to help you. When something happens and you don't like it and you don't know what to do, come get me. Before you ever throw that punch or kick that kid or say something mean or nasty, come and talk to me. I I don't expect you to be able to solve everything for yourself. I want you to solve what you can solve, but you know, we're looking in Acts 6, 1 through 7 at the early church. And we had some people who felt like they were being neglected, some of the widows and orphans said oh we're not being taken care of because we're of another culture and the the apostles were saying you know we we don't have enough time to do everything we have to do we can't you know take care of all these people and we don't mean to elect anybody but there's only a few of us and we can't do it all they were getting help and what did the Lord lead them to do you know what, we have this institution here today still. Deacons and, deacons and deaconesses. So we have the elders who are ministering to the spiritual needs, and we have the deacons and deaconesses who are, lit, who are ministering to the physical needs. God had a marvelous plan in, in mind. All he said is, you know, get help. I'm the one who wants to help you. Come get help from me. And they went and got help from the elders, and they prayed about it, and then they had the deacons and it was a marvelous way. And um, God has a plan for God has a plan for any of our problems. One of the things that I'm not going to get to very much today is later on in this series of Young Peacemaker, you're going to get to where conflict can be used to glorify God. That you can use the conflicts that you face faith, face to bring God glory. But uh, that's a whole different. Topic. let's go to Ephesians 4:32. be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you again if you can overlook and forgive but it's got to be genuine forgiveness you can't hold a grudge you can't bring it back and and keep bringing it to that person's attention what they did was wrong and how they hurt you and that is a very hard thing for a lot of people to do okay for all of us to do <laughs> Then if we can go, if we can go to James 4, 1 through 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. Oh, this is one of the first texts every year that I have students learn. Because when those little, little, you know, I may teach some really great kids, but none of them are perfect. And when those fights and quarrels, um, you know, the attacks, begin, this is where you comes, come back to this text, because they've learned it, say, okay, this text says that you're fighting because you've got a desire that's in you, and there's something you want you're not getting. Can you tell me what it is you're wanting? And you know, sometimes it takes you a while for them to finally get to what it is they're really wanting. but you now have this Bible text to help you as you try to help them work it out. And there was a teacher one year who just put the kids in the hall and tell them to work it out. And I thought, did we ever train them with the skills on how to work things out? You know, these are second and third graders. Uh, No, we need to to be involved in it. It doesn't have to get blown up to great proportion, but we can sit there and say, okay, what is it that you're really wanting what's the outcome you're hoping will happen from whatever you're doing what's your desire and again you can point back the bible tells me you have some desire that's not being met and if you could tell me what that desire is maybe i could help you you're not putting them down you're not you know telling them they're bad you're just pointing to the bible and say i know what's happening james james is one of the early church leaders of our of christianity He's one of Jesus' stepbrothers, older stepbrothers. And do you think he had a lot of quarrels that he had to deal with? Yes. If you look at um, going through Acts, you'll find all kinds of, any of the writings of Paul, there were all kinds of problems going on. We think we've got a handle on, or we've got new stuff going on in our churches today. No, it's been going on forever. And so God gave us some methods for working things out. Now I'm going to write down here it says, "From your desires that battle within you." all right, so what are some of the things that might be at battling within somebody? and pride one um, with my older students, usually when we go through the the things that might battle within them, bless their hearts, they always tell me what what's battling within them because i'll I'll have them draw a picture to illustrate, you know, what's something that you feel like you're battling with? And I said, you don't have to tell me, you know, I, but I want you to identify it for yourself. Well, everyone always comes up and tells me what it is. It's not, it's not my trying to find out, it's helping them to identify. But they wanna share it and help work it out, and that's what I'm there for. So pride could be the desire, desire that's not being met and the root of pride is you think you're better than others, you don't like to be wrong. And do you have any students, whoever, um, or children, who don't want to be wrong? Uh-huh, yes, if you've ever been around a child, you know they don't want to be wrong. And you can say, oh, I know what you're telling me right now. Because you don't want to be wrong, I know you're telling me that you've got pride, and we're not talking the lion pride, I just like that picture. Um, You've got pride in your heart, and that's why you can't stand to be wrong. Everybody has some pride in there. This isn't, but there is going to be one overarching thing for everybody. So the fruit, here's the result of having pride in your heart. You become defensive and argumentative when someone corrects you. And again, church board meetings you might come across this and you're you over there sitting there going uh-huh I now know what's going on you've got pride in your heart now this isn't something that you want to just point out to other people but you're going to go over there going uh-huh I now understand that person better so now how can you work with that or it could be that the root the desire that you have is selfishness and the root Of selfishness is you want your own way, and the result of or the fruit of always wanting your own way is you'll argue, nag, whine, lie, or throw a temper tantrum to try to get people to give in to your desires. Again, if we go back to church board meetings, nag, argue, whine. I, I haven't been around too many temper tantrums, but. People are wanting their own way, and that selfishness about having their own way, the, the results of it is this kind of behavior. Now, if you can understand that, then you know what's going on in their head, you know the desire that's not being met, and you can start looking for ways to work with that desire. Or it could be that the person has greed. You want more, and you're not content with what you have. The fruit of that greed or the results of feeling that way. You complain that you don't have what other people have. You take things that don't belong to you. So if you have a child who's taking things, and, and that happens from time to time, they'll take other people's stuff. What's, what's that, the desire that's needing to be met? They have a greedy heart, and they want more and they're going to take it from other people and we see a lot of this going on in the world there are other people who in their hearts they have a fear of others and the root of this fear is you're afraid of what others will think of you you want too much to be liked and accepted and you want other people to approve of you and applaud your efforts and the fruit the results of feeling this way. You go along with your friends, even when you know what they are doing is wrong, so that they will accept you. You need constant reassurance that you are doing well. Now, when I have a classroom, we're gonna go through some other, some other roots, too. And I ask the kids, just pick one, you know, to, to write about, illustrate, put down, you know, what the root is, what the fruit is. Just something that might apply to you. And probably one-fourth of the children pick fear of others, that that's at the root of their behavior is this very thing they want much to be liked and accepted and approved of and applauded. Peer pressure. And peer pressure can be positive, but they identify with that. Now, if they can identify that, And figure out what they're thinking and what's going to happen because they're thinking that do they have now a tool of how to battle that they do because they think oh I know why I'm feeling that way okay if I'm feeling that way is this way God wants me to feel you know and it's not because they're bad in any way it's it's just we have different things that drive each one of us in our hearts and it's going to have cause and effect. Because I feel this way, this is the way I'm going to act. And if we can identify how we're feeling, we can start changing behaviors, and we can help them work some things out. Some children have, or adults have self-pity, and here's what self-pity is. You feel sorry for yourself, and you want others to feel sorry for you too. All of you just got somebody in your head that popped, their face just popped into your mind, you know somebody who has that at the root. And what's, what it looks like, the fruit of self-pity is, you You're say, nobody has as many chores to do as me, or you never let me do anything, or nobody likes me. Anybody here feel like maybe they have a self-pity? And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's where you're going, going, I don't think I can do another thing. I am the one who's doing everything at the church. Nobody else is lending a hand. I have to do all the cleaning, all the cooking, all the putting stuff away. People just take advantage of me. Going, okay, I'm feeling self-pity. I'm feeling sorry for myself. How do I get myself out of this mess? Yep, there you go. That's one of a teenager's favorite thoughts. But, you know, all of us have all of these things at some point in our life. Our day, you know, we may go through all of these things. But helping to identify it and knowing how it's going to materialize in our, our words and our deeds helps us to back up and say, all right, I'm feeling a little self-pity. What should I be doing about this? If I feel like I'm doing all the work, I need to go ask somebody for some help. And you would be amazed at how many people want to help. They just think, oh, she wants to do it all. I won't get in her way. You know, some of us want to do things just a certain way, and we, you know, just, but when we're over here feeling self-pity, we need to go and do something about it, and not just feel sorry for ourselves, but get help, and there are so many people who are willing to help, and we have a tough, t- you know, as, as Americans, born and raised in the United States, we're a pretty self-sufficient group, you know, we're the people, our ancestors are the people who crossed the ocean and lived and many of our ancestors crossed the United States. You had to be self-sufficient. My dad grew up during the Great Depression. Had to be self-sufficient. Lost a family farm, lived in some real hovels as he grew up. You saved everything because you never knew how you might be able to use it. During World War II, the people that they wanted on those front lines when equipment was broken is they wanted farm boys. Because the farm boys were able to fix whatever needed to be fixed because that's what they had been doing we are a very self-sufficient mindset um, in this nation it's not a bad thing but when it leads to self-pity when it leads to us feeling sorry for ourselves because we're doing it all shame on us and this is the time to reach out and people are very happy to help us um, especially if it's not you know Now it's your job. I'm I'm walking off and leaving you with all of it. But they're glad to team up with us. So don't feel sad or deprived. Look for solutions. Another one is envy. Envy says you want what others have. You're not content with what you have. All of us have a little envy. I know I walked out through the um, A and B loop out there and I was a little envious of of the living accommodations some people have. Now, I like to backpack, so I don't want any of those things, really. But I'm thinking, man, you're living in luxury out here. This is pretty good. <laughs> there you go. Um, so we all have a little en- envy, and it's not bad. It just depends on what the fruit, how big the fruit becomes. If your sister gets a new shirt, then you want one as well, and you make fun of your brother because he gets good grades and you don't. Again, how does envy, you know, do I go over and spray graffiti on their beautiful campers? You know, we would never think of doing that. Do I go around and gossip? They must not do anything for the church. Look at what they're, I did have a really nice RV one year here because we rented it. (laughs) My dad was coming up from Florida and to take care of my little boys while I had to be in summer school. So we rented a nice RV for him to be able to stay in. So maybe those are all rentals. I don't know. <laughs> but we need, to take, we need to take a look at how we see things. And a little envy isn't, it's just, where does it lead to? We also have laziness. And yes, all of us have a little laziness. Some of us know that's because we're absolutely exhausted. Uh, you don't want to work. You resist responsibility. You've got another despair.com place. Success is a journey, not a destination, so stop running. You know, we talk over and over about life being a journey, and yeah, we should stop sometimes. We need to stop, we need to rest, we need to reinvigorate. How do you tell the difference in this very driven society between um, laziness and rest? All right? And, And we need to teach kids they don't have to be constantly on the go. Um, you know the phrase, don't just sit there, do something. Sometimes we need to allow people to just sit there and not do anything. It's just, what are you going to do once you're rested up? Are you going to actually do what you need to do? Or are you going to continue to sit there and not do anything? What results do we see from the root, the fruit of laziness? You refuse to do your chores or schoolwork. You sit and watch TV instead of doing something constructive. So it's depending on are you resting? Are you still getting done the things you need to do? Or are you refusing to do them? We also have as a root jealousy. Um, You are afraid of losing the love of a friendship of someone special if that person pays attention to someone else this we see very very much in schools especially small sized classrooms there may be three girls in a grade and two of them want to be best friends and the third one gets left out and there's always a push and pull around that so you really have to work with that because of jealousy being at the root and again kids don't know how to handle those kind of things this is where we need to help them you're going to see it's jealousy because you're going to see you become angry at your friend for inviting another friend to go skating and you try to do everything you can to break up their friendship. And this is where the girls will start gossiping around about other people. This is, uh, there's, the boys do it too, but I've seen it manifest in the girls a lot more. Um, just trying to hurt each other so that one person isn't a friend with somebody else. And this is where we talk about how to be all inconclusive we, we want to be friends with everybody God's created this whole world of friends wherever you go and I've gotten to go on a number of Maranatha building trips and every time I go to another country I may not speak the language I may not understand the culture but because I'm going to a seventh-day Adventist community it doesn't matter whether it's in a, the middle of a downtown city or so far out in the wilderness I can only find it with a GPS coordinate no matter where I've gone I have friends in the Seventh day Adventist Church. I don't have to feel like I'm gonna be very limited. You know, if all of you reject me here at camp meeting, that's it. I have no friends anywhere. But if you go anywhere and you start being of service to others, you have instant friends for life. I can't wait till we get to heaven. Because I'm not gonna see those people. You know, my husband and I dream about wouldn't it be fun to take, you know, a tour of all the places where we've built a church and see how it's going. And then we instead, we don't, you know, we are not going to spend our money doing that. We are going to go try and build another church or something. But we can ha- we got to help our kids understand that, that we need to be friends with each other. We shouldn't be pulling apart. We should be pulling together. Now, you've seen the roots that cause p- problems. We have four, four things that pro- provide solutions. And the first one is love. And the root of love is the desire to love and please God. Isn't that a wonderful root to have? And we're gonna in my school we'll we'll do big pictures that show love at the root. And then what becomes when you love others? What what we're, we create trees with love at the root, and then what do you see happening if love is at the root? Well, what fruit would grow on such a tree? And what they might picture is a loving heart shows unselfish concern for others and as desire to do good to them Oh, when you start talking about this with your students and spending time with it and talking about it a loving heart shows unselfish concern for others and a desire a desire to do good to them so that jealousy thing where the girls aren't getting along and you say but look if you have love at the root of things you're going to want to encourage them to be friends with each other. You're going to pray that you get included, but you're going to want what's really best for all of them. And kids kids will start looking at it that way. Or another fantastic root is patience. At the root of patience is the desire to love and please God. Hmm, didn't you just hear that somewhere before? Mm -hmm. And what you're going to see as the fruit of patience is a patient heart will wait without grumbling or complaining. A patient heart will wait without grumbling or complaining. Um, Many, 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 many times, I, as part of my drive into school, I will be praying about, God, please grant me patience. And I have had to learn to change that prayer a little bit. Lord, please grant me patience, but help me to know when I should not be patient. You know, if, I, if I'm letting things go on too long in a way that I shouldn't, I need to um, just not be patient and everything will be okay, but I need to solve some things by not letting it go too far. Another marvelous root is the root of kindness. Kindness, and you can probably say this with me now, the desire to love and please God is at the root of kindness. And kindness is gonna bear the fruit A kind heart is interested in the well-being of others and will be considerate and helpful toward them. Oh, this is a wonderful route that we want to spend time on with our children. And we're going to say, we know at your heart you want to love and please God because we can see it because you're interested in others and you're considerate and helpful towards them. And if you're focusing on those kind of things, are we having to focus on so much on the bad roots and the bad fruit? No, because now, now we've transplanted them or grafted them onto a God root, and they start seeing different kinds of fruit. And then we can point it out. <gasps> Ooh, I can see that you have kindness in your heart because of the way you're treating. Oh, kids love it when somebody notices they do something right because our brains are tuned in to catch them doing something wrong and not think about doing something right. The little granddaughter you saw in here a little bit earlier, Um, we went to the farmer's market on Friday, and she was really good, she held her hand, she stayed with us, and when we got in the car, I said, oh, you were such a good girl there, and her mother said, yes, you held our hand, you didn't touch everything, you didn't run off, I'm so proud of you. She gave her a detailed description of what good at the farmer's market looked like. We've got to do that with our kids. We've got to be showing them when we say, I want you to be well behaved, what does it look like? When you I want you to be kind, what does kindness look like? And and when they are kind, don't just say, Oh, you were so kind. You would say I liked how you shared your toy with that child. I know how much you like that toy. And you showed such kindness by sharing it. We, we need to help our children understand what good behavior looks like. And we need to do it over and over and articulate it for them. And then let's look at the r- gentleness. Again, the root is the desire to love and please God. And gentleness is going to look like A gentle heart is compassionate towards others. It is kind and loving, not harsh or violent. Again, we want to bring all those things to our children's attention. I'm going to go to Galatians 6, 7. Do not deceive yourselves. No one makes a fool of God. A man will reap exactly what he plants. So if you're planting those evil um, roots, the the things that lead to the bad outcomes, the bad fruit, you're gonna reap those rewards. But if you're transplanted and grafted onto God roots, then you're gonna start reaping the rewards of gentleness towards you and kindness towards you and love and compassion and patience. We also need to teach children that choices have consequences. This is really important. The whole cause and effect, a lot of times, Children don't start learning cause and effect until they get to school. This is something that babies know instantly. Because I cried, the effect is I get mom or dad's attention. So I'm going to cry because I want something. I don't know what I want. They want to be fed. They want to be changed. Or they want to go to sleep. That's pretty much. And they know that, you know, they know how to get those kind of things. And we just need to help again, speak to our children about what's going on because you have bad choices are going to lead to bad consequences. You're going to end up to be disciplined. You're going to end up to be punished by making bad choices. You're going to end up without any rewards. You're going to end up with the loss of privileges. You're going to end up with people not trusting you. People aren't going to have confidence in you. You're going to have a guilty conscience. Um, one of the questions people have asked me about, well, what do you do about when a kid lies to you, when one of your students lied to you? I said, oh, you know, I believe all of my students are children of God, and I don't want to be the one to figure out if they're lying or not. not sometimes it's pretty obvious if they're lying, but I don't want to be the one to have to, I've got other things to do, like teach them. But I am going to pray that God overwhelmingly hits their conscience and that they come and confess. And do you know that happens more and more? You can tell when a child truly is wanting to do what's right. Some of them come and confess two years later. I had a child who was an adult one year at camp meeting come and confess something. I I had no recollection of what they were talking about. But, you know, that prayer of, Lord, and they'll say, and the kids will say, well, what are you gonna do if I lie? I said, well, if I don't know if you're lying, I'm just gonna pray that God doesn't let you sleep or give you rest until you tell the truth. <laughs> you know, I don't have to do anything there. That's, I put that into God's hand. Um, then, if you have good choices, there are good consequences, and good consequences look like praise, um, thanks and appreciation. There are rewards. There are privileges. There's trust. There's confidence in you. There's that clear conscience. And then when you lay that out for students and say, you know, where do you want to be? Which one of these lists looks like the most fun for you? I'm going to help you make those good choices. But you know what? It, you know, if you disobey, that's going to be a bad choice. That's going to be a bad consequence. And look what's going to happen when you disobey or tell a lie or take something you shouldn't. And again, we're going to go back to what's at the root, what's in your heart. This is why you're going to do it. But look, if you choose wisely, look what happens. You know, at school there's always some student that I can send on any errand, and other people get jealous. And I have to say, you know, when I send that student on that errand, I know it's going to get there and they're going to get right back. When I try sending you on an errand, you go to the drinking fountain, you go to the bathroom, you forget what you're on an errand for and then I have to come looking for you. That was a bad choice. I can't reward that. I can't give you the privilege. I can give this student the privilege though because she always comes back. I can trust her or him to do what they're asked to do without a lot of detours. And sometimes just help, oh, it's you, you have a classroom favorite. Uh, no, I have somebody who's more responsible, and I have to be able to trust somebody to do those things. Now, if, that, if you want that to be you, okay, let's talk about what this is going to look like. Because, man, I would love to build a whole classroom of kids that I could send on an errand and trust. We're going to go to Proverbs 14, 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. The wisdom of the really smart kid is to think about what they're doing. You know, To put it into kid terms, that they're really smart, this is what you're gonna do. And we've gotta help children understand, you need to think, you can't just react, you need to think about what you're gonna do. You're gonna think about the consequences, you're gonna think about what's at the root of whatever your desire is. You have to do the thinking yourself. So we've covered a lot today. We've gone through the escape, blame, deny, run away. We've gone through the attack, overlook an offense. Oops, I'm sorry. We've talked about the attacks, fights, put downs and gossips. And again, help children understand that when they use put downs and gossips, they are attacking somebody else. And then we have the work it out way, which is the strongest way to be able to overlook an offense, to talk it out, to get help. This is where we want the people we associate to be with. But what if they're not sure what to do? Again, you're going to seek good counsel. I, uh, I've told many a group that my husband and I, even even at our age, we will seek counsel from our parents. We're still going to talk to them and see what they think and what wisdom that we can get from them. We're not going to just try and do major things on our own. We're going to still keep looking at it. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 tells us we should seek counsel from our parents. Now, if you have wise parents, you are very blessed. If you don't have wise parents, you probably should adopt somebody. But... Find somebody that could be your trusted advisor. And we tell children, you know, it, because I have students whose parents are not wise. Say, okay, that's all right. You've got other options. What else could you, who else could you go to? And in Hebrews 13:17, it says we need to go to our leaders. Oh, okay. We have leaders who hopefully have wisdom and can help us. So that doesn't mean your peer leaders, you know, the most popular one at school. That's not who we're talking about. But talk about the leadership of your school or of your church. Who can give you some wisdom? And then in 2nd Sam whoops, in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 13, we find out that we could get some help from a prophet or a friend, a wise friend. I I was blessed all my life with some very wise friends, very patient, very kind, very loving that I could could talk to and seek their advice. So if we're not sure what to do, we need to help identify for children who they can go to if they need some good advice. If you're trying to make a decision and they'll come up with um, parents and pastor and Sabbath school teacher and Pathfinder leader and and I'm over here going, "Well, what about your teacher?" <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, when you're standing right there with them, <laughs> but they do and oh my, some of their heartfelt questions that when you can really sit down and talk. We we just came back from a class trip in May and it was such a fun trip we got to go to Mackinac Island we got to go to the Sioux locks Uh, they got to go swimming in the evening at an indoor pool I mean but they didn't all want to go swimming so you know I was willing to hang out with them and play games or something and really what they really wanted to do was talk they just wanted to sit and talk and empty their hearts out and and seek advice and seek counsel and I'm going whoa I just wanted to play a game this is a little bit of a challenge, but you know what, they took our advice and they sought what they considered good counsel. We had a chance to work out a number of things. And one child was saying, you know, I feel like I need to, you know, this is gonna be my profession. And I said, why do you feel that way? He said, well, I really feel like the Lord is calling me to this, but that seems a lot harder, so maybe I should do this instead. Wait a second. You feel the Lord is calling you to this profession? Not that there is anything wrong in this profession. It's absolutely excellent. It's, it's something we need in this society. But you feel God is calling here and he's given you these gifts? And you're afraid of hard work? And this child just looked at me like, oh, no. I said, I think, I think really what you want to pray. You don't have to make a decision for a couple of years. But really pray about it. Because if God is calling you to do this, he is going to give you everything you need. You can count on him to, yes, it's going to be hard, but you can count on him to get you to this point of also another profession that we deeply need in our society. Don't just go here because you think it's going to be an easier path, because you're going to be unhappy unless you're doing what God's leading you to do. But that took about two hours of of unloading and sharing and listening and trying to help somebody come to terms themselves, I'm not gonna tell the child what they're gonna do. There's some children I'd like to tell what they should do in life, but I have to let them make their own decisions. Um, I was so excited the other day, I was in the ABC and a couple of former students came up and you know they're telling me all about it. I said, so what are you gonna do? I'm gonna be an elementary teacher and I have one more year to go and I looked at the other one I said so what are you going to do I'm going to major in missions so I was pretty thrilled because those were my kids and you know for them to make those kind of life decisions well before I leave you I want to talk to you about the five A's and the five A's are things that we need to teach our children I'm going to give you five words and these are steps we need to take anytime we're trying to solve a problem. The first thing is number one admit what you did was wrong. Hardest thing to do for any of us is to admit what you did was wrong. Apologize for your choice. Now kids aren't too, they don't have a hard time apologizing but they have a terrible time admitting they did anything wrong so do all the rest of us we you need to accept the consequences I realize because I did this this is you know you're not gonna trust me you're not gonna give me special privileges I accept the consequences you ask that person for forgiveness you don't say will you forgive me I hear kids do that all the time you have to say okay you have to ask forgiveness for what it is that you feel like you did wrong Will you forgive me for taking your toy? Will you forgive me for calling you a bad name? Will you forgive me for stomping on your foot? And then number five, alter your choices in the future. And as I take the children through this, when we do have to do through, go through some conflict resolution, and I take them through these five steps, that fifth step, <coughs> alter your choices in the future, is we need to help, help them learn how to alter those choices. We can't just leave it there and expect them to to have the answer. We have to take them through those steps. And and one of the things that they want to do the most, one of the things that's most recommended is that we do role-playing with them. Okay, next, we have one boy who is always getting angry, and we said, okay, what could you do when you get angry instead of lashing out at someone? And he came up with, I'm going to stomp my feet. That's perfect. You can stomp your feet. because first, it identifies me that something's happening that's angering him. He's not hurting anyone else, and he's solving it to the best of his ability, but he's letting me know that he needs help. So I thought, you know, kids have some pretty brilliant answers. First John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. We need to remind children that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Again, you can get a whole year's worth of lessons out of the young peacemaker. And there are so many other things we could add into it. But these are the core things that I have found out work so well in the training of children, in the working with children, and the helping of children to have better and brighter futures. I'm gonna close with a word of prayer and then if you have questions, feel free to hang around and ask. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for giving us so much wisdom, for giving us the opportunities to know what we can do to help our boys and girls have a better life. Please hold us very dear and please help us to always count on you, in your name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse